little wobbly.
sing a beautiful song this morning. Storm, now 
sing with everything that we have this morning. We sing louder than our unbelief. And we sing because we know that our voice is a weapon to fight against the forces that go against you, God. We know that heaven is fighting on our side, that the angels are with us, and that no one can stand against you, God. So we raise a hallelujah. We sing louder. We glorify and exalt you this morning, God, because you are worthy. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Okay, good morning, Common Ground. You may be seated. Welcome to Common Ground Church. It is Name Tag Sunday. You can tell by all the cool name tags on everybody. If you don't have a name tag, then I guess you're not cool today. I know. <laughs> no, you just get a chance to go back and grab one at some point if you would like. Evan will explain why we're wearing these name tags uh, when he gets up here. Uh, so just a few announcements, things that are going on that we want you to know about right after church today. The worship team, and that includes the sound and tech team, will be having a quick meeting. And that's for all those who are already participating in that function and for those who are interested in maybe helping out with worship, uh, sound or slides or that kind of thing. So that's right after church. Also starting September 1st, that's this coming Wednesday, we will be having a midweek Bible study right over there in Dark Hall, and it's going to be over the Gospel of John, and it's great. You don't have to buy a study book or anything like that. Just bring your Bible and uh, come ready to learn, and Evan's going to just tear right into it, and you're going to know more about the Gospel of John than you ever thought you could learn, right? Or that you want to learn, Evan just said. <laughs> okay, and then coming up in a little bit later in September, we have the Ignite Conference, and we are still passing the magic clipboards around for nursery help, which we really, really need, and drinks and snacks. So if you could help us out uh, with any of those things, please uh, make sure to sign up for that. And then here's an exciting thing. Uh, starting September 5th, that's going to be Next Sunday, uh, in the evenings at 7 p.m., we're going to have a thing called Hot Topics. And we're going to do that in Dark Hall, too, because we don't fight here. Okay? <laughs> but we're not going to fight over there. Actually, we're going to learn how to talk about some really tough, controversial things and uh, how to talk to them and still leave as friends. Uh, I think that's something our society needs to learn. So uh, we'll start off easy with things like, what does the Bible say about swearing? And then it's going to build to more controversial uh, sort of things. According to the list I have here, you know, things like sexuality, theological issues, women in ministry. I just, I can't wait for that one. That's, that's, I'm just going to come and watch. <laughs> So, so anyway, you kind of have the idea of what that's going to be like. We encourage you to come. I think it's going to be a really good time of uh, learning together and, uh, you know, actually building relationships with one another while we do that. And then the uh, other thing I have to point out to you, along with our uh, study of John and uh, the message series that's beginning this Sunday or today, um, you will notice one of these by the name tags. Let me clarify. This is not a bulletin. 
We do not ride dinosaurs to church anymore. Okay, This is a devotional guide, reading guide, uh, to go along corresponding with our study. So we want to make sure you get a chance to pick up one of these two uh, just to enhance your experience in the Gospel of John as we move through that. And other than that, I think I've got everything covered. If you want more information on what's going on here at Common Ground Church, you can go to commongroundcma.org and hit the events or updates uh, tab on that. All right, now it's time to say hello to each other. I got a challenge for you. Okay? See if you can find somebody who has the same name as you and go say hi. But say hi to everybody else while you are searching for them. All right? Go. I was going to say, surprisingly, there's not another Matt here that I know. How do you do? Let's continue in worship. Stumble, but you use the wing. You 
was not humble, so please you with me. All I am is your
falling Though the darkness hiding Though the eye of sinful men I grow Father, you are holy. You are so holy. We can't even comprehend your majesty, God. There is truly none beside you. You are the only powerful being that is worthy of worship, God. You are perfect, powerful. You love us. Jesus, you were pure when you were sent to the cross to die for our sins. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. We praise you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Common ground, you may be seated. It is at this time that we have our offering. So if you look up on the screens, we will have our giving links listed. Um, there's sweet rays here to give at Common Ground. So we just um, recommend that you know you use one of those three as ways to give. Otherwise, um, if you do decide to give online, we do have our Great Commission Fund, which does... Um, provide for our missionaries across the world. So I always like to bring that up as well, if that's on your heart this morning. And then also, if you'd like to worship with this next song, you sure can. Otherwise, you can just meditate on the lyrics, whatever you feel comfortable with. Steadfast, 
fast with your grace. You are steadfast, rock steady. The God of compassion, the passion sent down. The God of compassion, spirit time of prayer. Thank you, thank you. <clears throat> Hello everyone. Uh, it is at this time that we'd like to dismiss any young children down to kids' church downstairs. Um, but also, it is time for us to enter into a time of prayer as a congregation. Uh, so, my name is Joey, as you can see right here. Um, and when I lead these things, I always like to 
just sort of bring a passage of scripture uh, to mind before we enter into prayer before the Lord. And um, I was just reading Romans yesterday, and in Romans 8, um, just this particular verse stuck out to me. Uh, it's Romans 8:26. It says, "The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words." So as you think about what's been going on in your life, whether it's a tremendous praise or uh, a deeply seated request of sorrow, um, God and his spirit helps you in that. So uh, now we'd just like to open up the floor. Uh, There will be a mic. Evan has a mic to run around for you to share your requests. I'd like to pray for all the legislators in all the states. And I think the Lord, I'd like to lift the Lord to lift them up and help them with their decisions. Absolutely. It's excellent. Anyone else? I'd like to pray for my dad, Frank. He's uh, in Fort Meade now. He's 92, and he has a bad hip, and I don't know if he'll be able to walk again or get mm. around. Absolutely. I'd love to pray for Frank. So one of Allie had one. Elijah starts school this week, and uh, it's... Our schedule is going from like kind of crazy, pretty crazy, to oh, every day is a lot. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it's good for him, and I'm excited, and mm. it's just going to be a big change to his schedule and my schedule and, and everything. So I'm excited for him, so I'm just hoping that it, praying that it goes well. Absolutely. God is faithful to answer that. Um, so I've got a friend with like, uh, mild stage of leukemia, except lately it's escalated and their chances of survival are not mm. spectacular. So it's mm. for that, I guess. Absolutely. Um, I would just like to pray for the individuals and agencies that are trying to follow God's will. Um, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of Um, darkness come against that and so I just pray that we don't fall that way and we don't get distracted and discouraged by it absolutely gates of hell will not prevail against God's church so we've had a very busy summer one of the things that we did was move my mom who's 92 to Rapid City to a assisted living facility So she's been here now for two weeks. Uh, One of those weeks has been total lockdown because of um, the new Delta variant. So just my prayer, well, luckily, or not luckily, God has provided that we can still go in to visit her so she's not isolated. Um, But I just pray that she'd be able to, or my prayer is that she'd be able to settle down and get into a good routine and feel comfortable in our new location. Mm. Definitely. I'll have to pray for those things. 
winter. Um, so with school starting this week, um, and in <laughs> the cheesiest way that I can put it, but also the clearest way, pray for all of the new missionaries that have come back to Rapid City and their mission field of School of Mines, um, and that God opens up doors and opportunities for everyone in Common Ground and other churches in Rapid to just speak the love of Christ to mm. students. Absolutely. Harvest. Absolutely. There's been a lot of terror in Afghanistan. Um, I'm going to be leading a Bible study this year at Mines um, and just praise for that to go well and for the Lord to help guide me. Maybe one or two more. Or no more. All right. Let us enter into a time of prayer together. Lord God, Heavenly Father, as we come before you right now, um, we just recognize that the words that we say um, are not sufficient even to convey all that we need from you. Your spirit by your grace is with us. We thank you that you do intercede for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And Lord, um, as we are here together right now, uh, we know that there are a lot of struggles, a lot of requests, um, but even a lot of praises. And we thank you that with each step that we take, you walk with us, that you are always guiding us uh, towards your good and perfect will. I just pray that we would remember Christ in all of these requests, the gift of our salvation that he bought through his death and resurrection on the cross, that even as we go through these uh, hard times or good times, um, that even those things are uh, by your hand and from Christ's sacrifice. So, Lord, uh, we just first of all thank you for that. Now, lifting up um, all of these various prayer requests, we recognize that you are a God who holds them all in your hand. When the nations rage, we know that you are the God who is king over them all. And as citizens of this world, um, exiles, but still citizens, we pray for our legislators. We pray for the people at the top of our uh, governments who are making decisions that guide nations. We pray this for the United States and even all over the world that, Lord, you would be guiding them to make decisions that are pleasing to you. And, Lord, as we see so much chaos, we recognize that, um, Lord, there is no greater king than you. And we just pray that by your strength, your, you are king's strength, that you would uh, lead our legislators to make what is, or to do what is right. And on that note, I'd also like to pray just for all the things that have been happening in Afghanistan recently. So many tragedies. Um, hearing of the soldiers that were killed this past week, we pray for them and their families. Also just the terror of the people living in Afghanistan, having to face an oppressive government with the Taliban taking over, Lord. And, Lord, we know that there are many missionaries over there who are now in danger of their lives because of this. But, Lord, no matter how deep the affliction, you are there with them. We pray that you would be with them and that you would strengthen them, help them to know that you are their God. 
that Jesus uh, has given them such a great reward that these afflictions are light and momentary compared to those things. Lord, um, we pray uh, for Frank, this 92-year-old with a bad hip who's having trouble walking. We pray for his health, that uh, you might uh, lead him uh, to walk in new life with you, um, even if he will never gain his physical ability to walk again. I just pray that you would help him to see that you are still with him in it. But again, Lord, by your grace, I pray that you would help him to have the strength to walk physically. Uh, We pray for uh, little Elijah, who's starting school, and the Carters. Uh, Their schedule already being so crazy with two boys and um, the base and all these things. And We just pray for them that as the crazy just turned to more crazy, um, that you would give them the strength to face the day. That every morning that they would rise, that they would say, Lord, you are the joy that comes in the morning. You are the strength that comes in the morning. Your mercies are new every morning. Lord, help them to um, trust you in that and to know that your love is upon them and with Elijah too. Um, Lord, I pray for Luke's friend who's battling leukemia, that has um, recently increased in severity, uh, the disease. And Lord, again, you are our healer. We pray that you would do an amazing work and heal this friend their bodies, but even more so their souls if they are not in you already. We pray that you would be with the doctors who are helping this person, that they would be um, seeking this person's good, and that you would give them the wisdom and the strength to uh, just do what they need to do. Um, But Lord, you are our great physician. Um, And Lord, if you will, please heal this person. Please heal this person, even though uh, maybe all the medicine is saying otherwise. We know that you are beyond medicine. You are beyond um, our idea of what uh, can save a person, but you are our salvation. Lord, um, we also pray just for uh, the many individuals and institutions who are trying to follow God's will all over the world, and even right here in Rapid City. Lord, we do know that um, when we are working, that there is opposition to that, that um, there are enemies to the cross, and that if they persecuted you, they will persecute us and fight against us. But God, let that not be something that uh, diminishes our hope, but let us have renewed hope that you have already had victory over that darkness, and that now we are simply just following um, your commands and following uh, your heart and your will to spread the good news of the gospel to the nations. Help us to have this hope have this faith in you and know that your love is with us again. Lord, we pray for Tim's mom too and just the lockdown that has been happening and her recent transition to nursing home in Rapid City or in South Dakota. Um, I just pray that you would be helping her to settle into her routine there. I thank you that you have given Tim and Mandy the chance to visit them or to visit her and I just pray that that would continue also, especially amidst the uncertainty and unpredictability of this new COVID variant. Um, I just pray that you'd be with her in that, uh, in this big transition. And Lord, uh, for all the students in the room, college and high school alike, and many other students, I would just pray that you would be with them as they start the new year, Uh, that you would put on their hearts um, a desire to be missionaries where they're at, as Winter said. Uh, It's such a good desire, Lord. Your kingdom is of utmost importance, and um, where we're at is a place that you've that you have us so that we can be missionaries for you. 
and while they are still doing school and um, being with friends and even new people, we just pray that you would be uh, guiding them uh, to walk in newness of life with that and to really just be faithful to spread the gospel and just to know that you are the, the instrument or that you're using them as an instrument for your kingdom. Lord, I also pray for Kyle's Bible study that he's leading, that you would guide him, Jesus, to uh, just be faithful in that. Um, again, Lord, there's, no, there's no else, no, nothing else to say, but you are our sufficiency, and you are Kyle's sufficiency. And no matter what he does to lead, that you um, are covering him, and you're leading him in that. I just pray that he, um, as he takes steps to prepare and get ready for the year in this Bible study, that's a big step, um, just that he would trust you to lead him there as he says. And Lord, I love to see that in his heart. And Lord, we thank you so much just for this congregation too. We thank you for this chance to worship together right now. Um, The fact that we are here in person and on live stream and can hear the word and can pray to you and have a spirit who's interceding on our behalf always. We thank you so much for this time. And we pray for all the prayers that were unsaid too the groanings that are too deep for words, Lord, your spirit has covered them. Now I pray for Evan, um, that as he comes up here to preach your word, that you would give him strength, that um, he would just um, be guided by the spirit as he uh, tells the word to the congregation, and that as we study um, the book of John and the I am statements, that just you would be um, working through those powerful statements of who Jesus is in our lives to lead us closer to you, Jesus. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Joey. Thank you for leading there. As you just said, my name is Evan, as the name tag says as well. And just like Nick was saying, I am here to tell you why we are wearing name tags, and that is to learn one another's names. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that the most brilliant thing you've ever heard of in your life, that we would wear name tags so that we could get to know one another's names? Yeah. We wanted to do a few weeks where we wear name tags. First, to just get to know each other better and to remember names. And second, because it kind of fits with um, the new series that we're starting today, which is focused on Jesus's identity, on who Jesus is. And we're starting this series today answering that very important question, who is Jesus? Because this is a question that people have been asking for a long, long time, right? Especially during Jesus's life when He was just a little 12-year-old peppering the teachers at the synagogue about the word, and they were thinking, who is this kid? And then as he was traveling throughout Judea and that area, healing people and performing miracles, and people wondered, who is this man who teaches the scriptures with such authority and seems to be able to cast out demons and to heal diseases? Who is this guy? And then the centurion said that as Jesus hung on the cross, and he said, who is this man who I have just killed, who seems to be pretty innocent. This question of who is Jesus is pretty important. Do you agree? Right? It's a question people have been asking for a long time, and it's, I would argue, probably the most important question that we could ever answer of who is Jesus. And so we're going into it for that reason, because I believe it is the most important question that we could ask or answer. And I think that this question really determines if Christianity has any validity, any credibility, if our hope is actually backed up in anything, answer, who is he? And I think the best way to figure out who someone is, is to see what they say about themselves, right? 
Who do they identify as? Who do they claim to be? And so that's what we're going to be doing for the next eight weeks, is looking into who Jesus claimed to be. And we're going to be doing that by looking at these seven statements that Jesus made, typically called the I am statements, because they're statements in which Jesus declared, I am, and then he filled in the blank, and he described something special and unique about himself. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door to the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am the bread of life. And today, we're going to be looking at a little extra, basically, eighth statement that's not typically included in the I am statements because this is the statement in which Jesus simply claimed to be, where he just plainly said, I am, and where he claimed to be the I am. And I know it sounds really weird grammatically, and if you were to say Jesus is the I am, Microsoft Word will correct you and say, no, this is bad grammar. Um, But really, this is the biggest claim of all. And when it comes to the seven I am statements of Jesus claiming to be the bread of life or the resurrection and the life, they all hang on this one reality of him claiming to be the I am. Because really what he was doing when he was saying, before Abraham was, I am, was he was actually telling us and all those around his real name. He was frankly telling people his name. It wasn't just bad grammar, it's a name. And you can't correct someone's name. Like, I mean, you probably might want to. Some people I know, they spell names differently. But this was Jesus' name. And you see, names are pretty important to identify someone with, right? As we see with our name tags, we get to walk around and see people's names. Um, But what we notice is that there are a few people in here who have the same name, right? I think we have multiple Daniels. We have two Davids. We have a few Nicks. Uh, Are there any other duplicates that we have? Did anyone find any? Sarah's? I think, are you the only Sarah here right now, though? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Oh, of course, there you go. Yeah, usually we have like three or four Sarah's, yeah. So there are a few. So when it comes to using people's names, if I were to say, okay, I just had a conversation with Sarah, I'm going to have to be a little more specific when talking about who I was describing, right? Because we know that you can't just stick with first names. Now, typically, we get to go to, you know, last names or move into that place. Or sometimes, like, say, if you're in this case, if last names weren't an option, then you kind of have to, like, describe someone a little better. You kind of have to, like, tell their story a bit. You'd say, well, you know, the Sarah I was talking to was married to Jake. Um, Or the Sarah I was talking to is a parent of Rue. And you're telling their story and you're describing what they're like in order to better identify them. I know in the past we had a few different Bens, and the way that we identified which Ben you were talking to, uh, each Ben had a certain fruit that was assigned to them for some reason. So there was like Banana Ben and Pineapple Ben, and I still don't really understand it, but you know what? You do what you got to do. Okay? And so these names are important to identify oneself. And I had a situation, I have, well, if you were even to use first name, last name, my name, Evan Fowler, you'd be surprised is actually pretty common. And a few years ago, I was added to a Facebook group where someone had gathered together all of the Evan Fowlers in the entire world and put them into one Facebook group. 
And this guy's plan was, he was in England, and his best friend and his roommate's name was Evan Fowler. And he thought he would do this as a huge prank on his friend, Evan Fowler, by gathering up all the Evan Fowlers together. And then, you know, just about every day or every other day, he would post a picture of his friend, Evan, like, eating. And he would say, all Evan Fowlers chew with their mouths open and they're disgusting. And he would post that on the Facebook. Or his friend sleeping. And he would say, Evan Fowlers are all lazy and useless. And then there were a few hundred of us other Evan Fowlers scattered all around the world who would comment on it. And his plan was that, you know, he would just, like, I don't know, harass us or be a prank on his friend. Somehow it kind of turned into us just, like, praising King Evan Fowler for how good he did everything. And so whenever his friend would post something about how gross his friend is, we'd be like, wow, he eats that hot dog with such grace and poise. And people would be really encouraging, and they would say all these things. But because we all had the exact same names, and it probably isn't a surprise, but a lot of Evan Fowlers actually all kind of look the same too. It's not the, it's not the most diverse name in the world. We had to kind of describe one another with various things, and so the moderator of this group, he would basically numbered us by the amount of Facebook friends or followers that we had, and so we're like numbers one, two, three, or so on. And so we had to use that to identify ourselves. And here, essentially, when it comes to the I am statements, that's one of the things that Jesus was doing. He was telling his story. He was telling his story. He was describing himself amongst all the other leaders, followers, people named Jesus. And when it comes to the I am statement, one of the key reasons that God identified in this way was to separate himself from any other gods. And when Jesus claimed to be the I am, he was claiming to be the God of the Old Testament, the God who wrote that entire story, the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God who saved Israel from the Exodus. And the fact that Jesus claimed to be I am in that situation was Jesus saying, okay, if you want to know who I am, read this whole story. Read this whole story of the Old Testament. All of those descriptions, all of those things that happened, all of these things are me. That was me. And so in order to look into this I am statement, we're going to be going to a few different places in the scriptures today. We're going to start in John chapter 8. And so if you find your way to John chapter 8, we're going to begin here, and then we're going to be bouncing to another place in a bit. But first, we're just going to look at Jesus' claim to be the I am. And if you want to follow along with the scriptures that we'll be going through for the next eight weeks, we have these handy little devotional reading guides out in the lobby, and they will show you where to find each of these I Am statements. But today, we're going to be looking at John chapter 8. And here, we're going to see Jesus in a pretty intense argument with a lot of different people. He's in the temple. He has just claimed to be the light of the world, which is a pretty big theological and philosophical claim and so people are arguing about it. They're arguing about who Jesus really is. Is he actually the light of the world? And they're really divided on who Jesus is. They're really divided on if he is the light of the world, or maybe he's lying, he's just trying to get power, or maybe, I mean, he's a good teacher, he's got some good things to say, but he's not really the light of the world, he's not really this big. And they're having this argument, they're having this division on who Jesus is. And they're fighting about it. And Jesus kept trying to explain who he is to them, but they couldn't get it. They couldn't understand it. In verse 32 there, he makes everybody involved in the disagreement really angry. 
when he says that if you believe in me, then you'll be set free. And they don't like that. So they responded in verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? So these guys are going, okay, no, we're Abraham's descendants. We're Jews. We've never been a slave to anyone. How can you say that? And if you know anything about Jewish history, that seems not quite right, that they've never been slaves to anyone. If anything, it seems like they've never not been slaves to anyone, right? We know that Abraham's descendants were slaves in Egypt, and then they were slaves in Babylon. And at this very moment, these guys that Jesus is talking to were essentially slaves to the Roman Empire, and they were living under a foreign-occupied power. But nonetheless, I guess when, you, uh, when you're in it that deep, you can't see it. And so they're saying, no, we, we don't need to be set free. And Jesus replied in verse 34, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in, my father's, in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. I'm getting kind of offended here. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you that the truth that I heard is from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. They're getting really upset at Jesus saying, you might be a descendant of Abraham, but you're not following him. And they even make this distinction of, well, we are not illegitimate children like you, Jesus, right? Because they know that Jesus's father obviously wasn't married to his mom when he was born, and the insults start coming out. They say something about Jesus's mama. We're not an illegitimate child. And Jesus said to him, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I am telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And so here Jesus is saying, if you were Abraham's children, not just his descendants, then you would actually do what Abraham did, and that's trust God, and that is look forward to this Messiah, look forward to the one who would save his people. And it seems to get pretty intense here, right? Especially when Jesus really goes to the heart and says that you belong to your father, the devil. And this isn't just like an acceptable Christian insult. This isn't an opportunity for you to go around being like, hey, well, you know, I can tell people that they're the, the son of the devil, that Jesus said it. Not exactly what Jesus was trying to do here. He was just drawing out the reality that anyone who does not believe in him, anyone who does not have faith in him is a slave to sin and therefore essentially is just a pawn 
in the hands of the devil, is just a son of the devil just dancing to the DNA that they got to their father, right? So Jesus is just trying to bring that out to say, it doesn't matter that you are Abraham's descendants if you are a slave to sin. But they were unable to hear it, as it says in verse 43, right? They just couldn't accept that. You are unable to hear what I say, Jesus said. Some versions say that you cannot bear to hear what I say or that you do not want to hear what I say. Essentially, they're purposely not believing here. And Jesus is really going into this because he is trying to get them to recognize the reality that while they might be Abraham's descendants, that there are still real, legitimate, evil forces and dominions in the world that want possession of their lives, that want possessions of their lives, and that are competing with God for them. And right now, they're not following God. Right now, they're descendants of the devil here. And so Jesus says, you're a sinner, and you're enslaved to this sin. And he's really trying to draw that out of them. He's really trying to draw that out of them. Then it continues on. If we continue on in verse 48, then Jesus answered him, Then the Jews answered him. They answered Jesus. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? And they're continuing on in the insults, right? To call someone a Samaritan was not just saying, like, oh, you're from Samaria, right? This was meant to be an insult. It was essentially calling them a people group that was universally hated. And it's kind of hard to give an example of this today without being really offensive. Um, I guess a good example might be, like, a vandal, right? The vandals used to be an actual people group, and now a vandal is just a bad thing, right? Or I guess like a Californian, you know? Just like someone who's universally hated, you know? Sorry, Joey. <laughs> no. And so that's the, that's the point here. They're just insulting him, and they're saying, you're demon-possessed, and they're just calling him that. And Jesus is being very patient, saying, I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. He's just making this offer to them. And at this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, and yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Before Abraham was born, I am. So this is a powerful moment in which Jesus, first off, claims to be apparently older than Abraham, and then he invokes this name, I am. And he connects himself 
with God revealing himself. And do you know what story that's from? When does God reveal himself as the I am? To Moses, right? To Moses in the burning bush. So he essentially here says, I am the burning bush. I am the God who appeared in the burning bush. And Jesus was claiming to be God. He was saying, if you are Abraham's descendants, then you worship God. You worship the God of the Old Testament. I am the God of the Old Testament. And so if you were really Abraham's descendants, you'd be worshiping me. But they didn't get it. And so they wanted to stone him. They attempted to kill him. Because Jesus was declaring himself to be this God. That's the reason they were so mad. Jesus says, if you don't believe that I'm God, if you don't believe I'm the burning bush of Exodus, then you will die in your sin. Then you will be without God. So in order to see exactly what they were so mad about and to see exactly what they knew, because these people that Jesus was having an argument with, they were devout Jews. They knew the story of the Exodus. And so we're going to turn to Exodus. Go find your way to Exodus chapter 3. We'll also have it on the screen. But if Jesus claimed to be the burning bush, and if Jesus claimed to be the one present there, if Jesus was present in the bush that was on fire, then I think we need to know a little bit about that story as well. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 here. So this is Moses, God preparing Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Stop there. Okay, anytime you see that term, the angel of the Lord, your Jesus radar should be going off. It should be pinging a bit. Because any time the angel of the Lord is in the Old Testament, oftentimes it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. It was a theophany or a Christophany. Not every single time, but most of the time, when there was an appearance of this phrase, the angel of the Lord, was actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And so here, there's the angel of the Lord appearing in flames of fire from within a bush. Flames of fire from within a bush. Now, I've always wondered, why is it called the burning bush? We typically refer to it, oh, yeah, Moses and the burning bush. And it makes very clear in here that the bush did not burn up. It was not burning, but we call it the burning bush. It was really the non-burning bush, but I guess that title doesn't go over as well. Okay, so this was Jesus appearing in this place, appearing in this place. And anytime you see that title, the angel of the Lord, it could, and more commonly than not, be Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. And then here's this bush, on fire but not burning up. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, just as you would. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was afraid to look at God. Stop there. 
And the Hebrew word here, so Moses goes up and he looks at this bush and God is calling out to Moses from this bush that is on fire, but it's not burning up. And the Hebrew word here in Exodus is just a generic, ambiguous word for bush. It just says it was a bush. And I've always wondered, well, or maybe you have to, what kind of bush? I wonder if it was just a random one or if God picked like a specific kind. Well, Jesus explained in Luke 20 or also in Mark 12, he explained it wasn't just a bush, but Jesus specifically described it as a thorny bush, that this was a thorny bush. And I don't know why it doesn't always include that there, but tradition tells us it was what's called a holy bramble, which is a type of blackberry that grows in that area. Um, it's kind of nice. We don't really have blackberries in the Black Hills, do we? No? Not really? No, we have raspberries. Ray, you would know. But the thing is, if you ever play disc golf in Oregon, all you deal with all day long are blackberries, and you will lose all of your discs in two-story tall blackberry bushes. And you could go in and get them, or you could save your skin and not. But this is the kind of bush that God chose to spoke through here, this thorny blackberry bush. And the reason is pretty significant because this is frankly a parody of Eden, and this should also cause your Jesus radar to be going off right now. If they're speaking through this thorny bush, and that's, I think, the reason that Jesus had to explain that this bush had thorns in Luke chapter 20. Because after all, we know that thorns, according to Genesis 3, were a result of the fall, a result of the curse of sin that came into the world. And thorns represent this sin and this curse in the world. And so the one who declared this curse over the world, over the sinful world, is now appearing within these thorns. And we know then the one who is going to bring deliverance from that curse when Jesus was hung on the cross, what was put on his head? A crown of thorns. And so this is Jesus appearing in the thorns also foreshadowing the, foreshadowing the time when he would once again appear in the thorns and declare deliverance and freedom. That here in this situation in the Old Testament when he was saying, I'm going to set your people free, Moses. Later on, Jesus would again be the same one to be wearing thorns, to be in the thorns, and to declare freedom has come. And so this is significant. It's significant that the thorns were here. And this is another example of Jesus here, present, that it was him. Continue on in verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land and into a good spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And he was on Mount Sinai when that took place. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? 
What then shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So this is where God revealed himself to be the I am, or literally, I am who I am. You see, God hadn't actually revealed his name to the Israelites yet. Whenever he was interacting with Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, the term that was always used was Elohim, which is just a generic term for God. It's you know, lowercase g, just God. Or they would call him Adonai, which just means Lord. It's like master. And here, this is the first time that God ever revealed his name. He gave himself a name. And, and names were really important because, see, Moses was coming out of a place where they were slaves in Egypt, where Egypt had a lot of other gods. And each god in Egypt had a specific name essentially describing what they were about or what they did or something about their identity. Gods like Osiris literally just meant mighty and powerful. There was Horus, which means the one who was above. And because the people had spent so long in Egypt, Moses recognized that if I just go tell them, hey, the God of your fathers has appeared to me, the Israelites, now not familiar enough with God, might not exactly know who he's talking about. They're going to be like, well, which God? We've got a ton of them. And they all do these different things, and they all have different purposes. And so Moses is asking, well, give me actual name. And likely, I'm sure Moses was expecting some kind of descriptive name, like the ones that the Egyptian gods had. You know, tell me, like, what you do. You're like bush god or whatever you are. Like, I'm sure it's something like that. And God doesn't just give him a description or a role he doesn't give him, like, a static noun. He gives him a verb here. He says the Hebrew word for to be. He says, I am. I am who I am. Essentially, yeah, all those things, all those things those other gods do, I do all that. I am all that. I'm beyond description. I'm beyond little roles that your cute little gods and idols in Egypt have. I am beyond all of that. And he gives him this name. I am. Now, this name I am that he gives him in verse 14, that first half, is the name Ehwe or Ehye, right? Or E-H-W-H. This is who God identifies himself to be. I am Ehwe. I am, I am. This is the Hebrew word to be. And it's interesting because then this is who God claims to be. And he says, when you go talk to the Israelites, tell them I am has sent you, which is what our Bibles say. But because it's conjugated, what it literally is, is tell them he is sent you. And the name for he is, is Yahweh. Right? Yahweh, or this Y-H-W-H. Or what has been translated through the different languages Yehovah, and that is just a different translation or pronunciation of the same name, Yahweh. And that's where we get this name for God, of, of God saying, I am, 
And when you go tell the Israelites who sent you, who appeared to you, tell them that it was me, but don't claim that you did it, so you have to say he is. And so that's where this name Yahweh comes from. And I'm sure Moses was a little frustrated and confused at this kind of confusing name. Okay, you are, I am, and I tell them that he is. Because this would begin a journey for the Israelites throughout the entire Old Testament where then God would reveal himself and he would reveal different aspects of himself to them. And as you work through the Old Testament, you see God revealing himself um, of different names like Jehovah Rapha, like we talked about in the Exodus, the God who heals, or Jehovah Sitkanu, the God who is righteousness, or all of these different descriptive names of God. And they all tie back to God as being Yahweh. And he said, go and tell the people that Yahweh sent you. Now Yahweh, or those four letters of YHWH, is so sacred and so holy to the Jews that they don't, write, they don't ever write out the full name Yahweh. They'll just write those four letters. It's called the Tetragrammaton. There's a fun one for you. The Tetragrammaton. And it's essentially just a theonym. It's like a little acronym to describe God because they don't want to write out the full name because they believe that God is so holy and so he's supposed to be so respected and feared that they don't even say his name. They won't even say the full name. They'll just write that. And as I was trying to understand a little more about why they don't say his full name, I was watching this video of an interview with a rabbi this last week, and then the rabbi was explaining just how important it is to keep reverence for God's name and to never say it. And he made the description, or he made the comparison to say, like, you wouldn't say God's name in this way just like you wouldn't walk into the Holy of Holies, would you? And of course, we're like, okay, yeah, under that scenario, yeah, we wouldn't walk into the Holy of Holies. And then in the video, this rabbi was explaining how even today, where the temple no longer sits on the Temple Mount anymore, now there's the Dome of the Rock, and, and where the Holy of Holies used to be is just kind of a big patio in these stairs, and still, out of reverence and fear for the Holy of Holies and for the Almighty God, a devout Jew won't even walk into that section of this patio, of that courtyard. And he shows all of these rabbis essentially walking the perimeter of the Holy of Holies, not wanting to step foot in there out of fear and reverence for God because it's such a big deal. And that's essentially their take that they take to God's name as well, to this Yahweh. Now, we obviously still believe that God is to be feared, he's to be respected, but one of the things that we have now as followers of Jesus, as followers of Yahweh, who Jesus claimed to be, is access to this Holy of Holies, right? And when you, when you watch in the video, it's kind of funny, but also like kind of awkward, where there are these rabbis walking the edge of the Holy of Holies, just like praying and very serious and being very careful not to enter that area. And then there's just like tourists walking on by, just like walking through it in the middle of it. And I just feel like I would be, I would be awkward, not while they're praying. I just wouldn't do it. But we do have access to that area, and that's the beauty of following Jesus, is we can fear God without being afraid of him. And we can enter in to the most holy place, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. 
And so out of fear and reverence and respect, we still have full access to him. That the God of the Old Testament, the God who set up the Holy of Holies, is Jesus, the one who dwells in us and with us and with whom we have relationship. And so that fear of of not wanting to use his full name, I don't think is applicable to us. And as we see in the Old Testament with God kind of filling in the blank and saying, well, I am, and then he, you know, says, I am Jehovah Rapha, I am all these different things. That's what we're going to see in the upcoming weeks of Jesus kind of filling in the blanks and explaining a little more about who he is as we get through the I am statements, that I am the bread of life, I am the one who sustains you, that I am the vine, I am the one in whom you abide and live and grow, and he fills in the blank here. This is who I am. And this was Jesus in that little comment that before Abraham was, I am, he was referring to all this history. He was referring to all of this important reverence that you were to have to God. And that's why the Jews in this case were so upset. That's why they thought, well, sorry, you have to die now. You have to be stoned now. Because Jesus was making this enormous claim, I am the God of the Old Testament. I'm the one who's supposed to be so revered, so feared, that you wouldn't even come into my presence, but yet I am here as God with you. I am here face to face with you. I am here appearing to you and offering life to you. Jesus was saying, I am. I am God. And if you are Abraham's descendants, if you were followers of Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, you would also follow me. He was declaring that I am this God who you have been following this whole time. I'm right in front of your face. Just look at the signs. Look at it. At this point, this is John chapter 8. A lot has happened in the first seven chapters. A lot in terms of Jesus revealing himself to be the Messiah. And if there's anything that the Jews were looking for at that time, it was the Messiah. And they were looking for all of these signs and they were looking for these things that would indicate the Messiah is here or that someone might fill that role. And for the first seven chapters, Jesus was just knocking them out one by one, just fulfilling all these prophecies. He was fulfilling all these signs. And he's saying, if you guys would pay attention, then you would see it. You would see it. That I am the one who's revealed here. Now Moses, who Jesus appeared to in the burning bush there, Moses always wanted to see God. And he even asked God one time, God, show me yourself. Show me your glory. And he got to see God in the pillar of fire, of course, and he got to see God in the burning bush here. And and when he asked God, let me see your glory, God explained to him, like, I can't show you my glory or I'll kill you. And so I'll hide you in this rock and then I'll pass by and you'll get to see, like, my afterglow or backside as a lot of Bible translations translate it. Backside is a bad, that's a weird way to say it. It was like his afterglow or like the comet trail, essentially. And so this is the way that Moses gets to see him here. But he never actually got to see God in full. And that was always something that Moses wanted. That's really what he was asking God. Like, let me see you. I'm sure he was, he was kind of disappointed being like, okay, I hide in a rock and I see like some fairy dust after you go by. I'm sure he was disappointed. But then there was another time when Moses actually did get to see God in full. And it was after Moses had died. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses was up on the mountain with Jesus. 
And I'm sure at that time, he looked Jesus in the face and he realized, this is God. You are God. The God with us. God appeared to me. And I wonder if he would have recognized him, if Jesus would have been visible enough in that burning bush. It was visible enough for him to recognize the angel of the Lord was in there. And I wonder if Moses would have realized, I had seen you this whole time. That there you are, Jesus, getting to see him in full. So Moses finally got to see Jesus there. God in the full. And any time we look on Jesus, we are seeing the fullness of God. We are seeing this image or this presence that is so powerful it's supposed to kill us. But yet he has allowed all of his fullness to dwell in human form so that he could be with us and that we could look on him, that we could be his presence. And Moses got to see him in that instance. And you know, Jesus, he declares all this. He declares to be God when he's at the temple. This whole big disagreement, this whole big fight took place at the temple. And it took place immediately following the festival of booths or the feast of tabernacles. Now this whole feast or this whole festival was commemorating the time in which God dwelled with the people in the wilderness as they were moving through the Exodus and they had the tabernacle in which God's presence dwelled and God was with them. And it was a time in Israel's history that they look back on and celebrate because that was when God was with us and he was present with us. And now here Jesus is, the very presence of God, with them in the temple. The whole purpose of the temple was a place for God's presence to dwell. And now Jesus is saying, guys, this is what we're celebrating. This is what you're looking forward to. And you have it here. But yet they rejected him. And one commentator said that the line in verse 59 of John chapter 8 is the saddest line in the entire New Testament because of this. The idea that Jesus left the temple. The very reason the temple was set up was for God's presence to dwell. Now here it is, God's presence. And this whole festival was set up to remember and to celebrate that God was with them. And now here God's with them. And then because they rejected him, because they're going to throw rocks at him, Jesus left. And they totally missed out on who God is who Jesus is. And for us, as we move through life, I hope you can recognize just how important it is to answer this question of who is Jesus. Because this thing that so many have looked forward to for so long of, of God's presence with us, not killing us when we're around it, of actually available to us it's available in Jesus, and so it's incredibly important when it comes to answering who is Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us, come to be with us. And, and frankly, for the Christian, our entire life, the purpose of our life is to answer this question for others then. You know, maybe you have already answered that question, and you know who Jesus is, and you've accepted that. Well, then the purpose becomes to answering that for others and to knowing who he is so that no one else has to find themselves in that situation of verse 59 where it seemed like everything they could have been looking forward to 
God's presence among them. Salvation here was chased out so that we can answer this question for others. Because Jesus was making this enormous claim. I am. I am the God come near. I'm the God come to you. And he said, all you have to do is believe in me. And this wasn't actually the only time that Jesus claimed to be the I am. Obviously, he had to say things a lot for people to get them because they were big. They were big claims. Um, But it was at Jesus' betrayal uh, when Jesus claimed to be the I am again in John chapter 18. Judas came to the garden, and he came with the detachment of soldiers, right? And they were carrying torches, they were carrying lanterns, and they were armed because they were going to arrest Jesus in this case. And Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, he went out and he asked, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus said, I am he. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And they didn't fall to the ground because they're like, oh, where's Jesus? Oh, there he is. Oh, no, he's a scary guy. Jesus didn't say like, oh, I am that Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus here said the exact same thing that I am. He here said, I am who I am. And he invoked the name of God. And I'm sure at this point, these soldiers who had come to arrest Jesus had heard some of the stories. They heard the miracles. They heard that, you know, he, fu- he seems to be fulfilling all of these requirements of the Messiah. It's looking pretty likely, but eh, probably not. One of his followers here is saying that he's not, and so we're going to arrest him and, and do this. But I'm sure they had some doubt about going to arrest this guy. And then when Jesus just flat out makes the claim, I am he, or I am Yahweh, They were terrified. They fell to the ground because they could feel the weight and the power of this statement. This guy just said that he is God. And that is a powerful statement. And when it comes to our lives, for us to make that statement that Jesus is God, it might seem simple for those of us who might have been following Jesus our entire lives or for a while that is a powerful statement. A statement that knocks the enemy to the ground, throws them back. And so I hope you recognize, and don't ever take it for granted if you've been a believer for a long time, just the power of that statement of Jesus is God. And maybe you're not quite sure about who this Jesus guy is, and you're just thinking, well, you know, he's shaped a lot of human history. Maybe I'll look into it. Would you recognize just the weight and the power that this statement holds, that Jesus is God. Because this question of answering who is Jesus is really a life or death question. And the answer to it determines a lot. Jesus said in John eight twenty four, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. So this is the most important question that we can ever ask. This is the most important question that we could ever spend time answering or looking into. So important that it knocked these guys off their feet. And so, as you leave here, depending on where you're at, uh, who do you say that Jesus is? Who would you claim that he is? And if you're able to answer that he is God, then how can you help others to get to that place? 
Now it's your role and responsibility to be able to lead people to that same answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he I am or not? Because he sure claimed to be. And as we go through the I am statements and as we continue to learn about the identity of Jesus, it all hangs on this one claim of him claiming to be God. I am Yahweh. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And it's from that place that we move out. And we're going to see just the breadth and the beauty of Jesus' identity in the next few weeks. So would you bow your head? Would you pray with me? Well, Father God, we just thank you for the ability now to, to approach your throne, to, to be in your presence um, for your Holy Spirit's presence in this room. Uh, we just thank you for being the God who has come near to us, who has invited us into your presence. We thank you for becoming flesh in Jesus, for the fact that, that we have this mediator through him, and now we can enter into the most holy place by his blood. And so, God, as we turn um, to celebrate communion now as a family, would you just continue to, to put that, that significance and that weight written on our hearts and minds. May we continue to understand more fully what it means to have access to you, what it means to have had Jesus in the flesh, what it means to have him as God with us. And as we celebrate and thank you for the blood poured out and for his body broken, I just ask that you would just continue to help us to answer that question in our own hearts and minds. For those of us in this room who might be, might be still questioning, might be still looking into that, or for those of us who have committed our lives to following you, uh, would you just empower us to answer that question, and would you continue to reveal your identity to us in amazing ways? And so we just set aside this time to celebrate you coming for us and saving us, and that because we can have faith in you, that we do not have to die in our sins, but now that we have the life that Jesus promised here in John chapter 8. So Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking through to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So it's at this time that we're going to practice communion together. And we have the self-serve communion cups, two different stations in the front and one in the back. And I'm going to invite you now to rise to your feet and to come and to grab the elements and then you can return back to your seat and we will take them together.
before a bunch of men claimed to be God, which led to them putting him to death and led to his death. And it's from that death and from that claim that now we have eternal life. And, and as Jesus met with the disciples on the night he was betrayed, he broke bread, symbolizing his body that was going to be broken for us. And he says, this is my body of the new covenant broken for you, broken to take the punishment for your sins. So let's eat this together.
it was on that same night, the Passover meal, that Jesus took a cup of wine. And he said, this wine is my blood poured out for you, the blood of a new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. So let's drink this together. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for being the God who is over all creation and yet you came and gave your life up to the hands of men. You came in weakness to save us from our weakness. You came and had thorns placed on your head to save us from the thorns of sin. We just thank you for the sacrifice you made in giving us eternal life. So we praise your holy name today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, high you won't sit down, coming after me. Shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. chapter 1. That the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So grace and peace, Common Ground Church. Thank you for coming. Have a wonderful week. Common Ground, one more announcement. And after the service today, in about five to ten minutes, we will be having our worship and tech team meeting right here in this um, in the sanctuary here. Uh, if you cannot make it, please see me. I have a handout for you if you have other plans after church. All right, that's all. See you soon. Shadow, you won't light. Do we leave this up until after? Yeah, we're gonna do this one. Cool. Yeah. Figured for now. Stone, oh, yeah.